Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. This podcast features the first of four webinars in the Bentonville First series, entitled Nonprofits, led by Rev. Dr. Michelle Morris and featuring Cindy Acree, Executive Director for Habitat for Humanity of Benton County, Lisa Martins, Second Street Pantry President and Volunteer, and Debbie Martin, Executive Director of Havenwood. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, we are so excited to be with you today. This is our first Bentonville First uh, webinar broadcast. My name is Reverend Dr. Michelle Morris, and I'm the lead pastor here at First United Methodist Church in Bentonville. Um, throughout the month of October, our church is focusing on four key aspects of community life so that we can get a reacquainted with our community um, as we are hopefully navigating out of this pandemic. Our hope is to learn about who our community is now and to spark new responses to needs and possibilities that are now part of who we are in Bentonville. So this week's webinar focuses on nonprofits. And joining us from our community for this discussion are three panelists. I'd like to introduce them to you. Um, we're going to start here uh, with our first panelist is Cindy Acree. Um, Cindy um, is the Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity um, for Benton County. Uh, serving in this capacity for two and a half years. Uh, Cindy is a Bentonville City Councilwoman and former Colorado State Legislator with a 20-plus year legal and business background and degrees from Southern Methodist University. I have two degrees from SMU, awesome. by the way, Cindy. So we oh, um, <laughs> um, And uh, she also has a degree from University of Denver College of Law. Um, her personal story is one of overcoming adversity as she struggled for 15 years with epilepsy, then survived a paralyzing stroke to make a remarkable recovery, finding hope and creating an exceptional quality of life. That's a, it's a wonderful story, uh, Cindy. I'd love to hear more about that sometime. Um, and then Habitat for Humanity Benton County is an affiliate of Habitat for Humanity International. Founded in 2000, they have built over 84 homes for poverty families in Benton County. Habitat is a nonprofit Christian housing organization whose goal is to eliminate poverty housing from within Benton County and to partner with the community to make a decent shelter a matter of conscience as well as action. So, Cindy, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. Glad today. to be here. All right. And then our next panelist is Lisa Martins. And she's the Second Street Pantry uh, Mission Volunteer and Present. President, uh, Second Street Pantry Missions has been functioning as a food pantry for 10 years. In those 10 years, they have also added monthly personal care and diaper distribution, financial assistance to those facing utility shutoff or eviction, and snack packs for two local junior highs. Lisa has been an active volunteer for five years working in data entry for our benevolence team and pantry team, picking up and shelving the food bank order and filling the bags for weekly food distribution. She's also held board positions of secretary, vice president, and president. Second Street Pantry Missions is also a ministry operating out of our church here at First United Methodist Church in Bentonville. So thank you so much for joining us today, Lisa, especially on this is your disbursement day, right? This is a big, it busy is. day for y'all. It's a busy day. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for squeezing us in. Um, yeah, and our then, pleasure. 
<laughs> and then we have Debbie Martin with us, um, who is no relation to Lisa Martin's. Their names are spelled slightly differently. Um, Debbie is the executive director of Havenwood. Havenwood helps single mothers and their children move from crisis to self-sufficiency. Also, uh, due to some grants through um, through COVID assistance, they offer uh, rental assistance and rapid rehousing for those experiencing housing insecurity. The Havenwood program meets basic needs by providing a safe and secure place to live. Their facility houses 15 fully furnished apartments, complete with private kitchen and bath for each single parent family. In their nearly 30-year history, Havenwood has been blessed to walk beside more than 500 families, including more than 1,100 children. So, Debbie, we're glad to have you with us as well. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we want to make sure that we have as much time as possible to discuss today's topic. So let's get right to our questions. Um, we also encourage those of you that are joining us on Facebook uh, to share your questions in the comments. If we have time towards the end of the hour, we're going to go until uh, one o'clock for this. If we have time towards the end of the hour, we'll take some of those. Uh, but let's start out with this first one here. So I would like each of you to describe your work. In particular, who are the people you serve? And what issues or challenges do they typically face? So we'll just start with how we went to introduction. So Cindy, if you would share a little bit about your work. Yes, we work with families in poverty, all type of families and all races. We have American Indians. We serve a large Hispanic population, a large Caucasian, African-American, and some Marshallese. And that's the demographic in Northwest Arkansas. And it's interesting that all the participants on this call all share in the continuum of care for our families that we serve. And we serve only poverty level families, but often you have a family that's right at the edge and they're not making enough to be self-sufficient. They need a little help and we want to provide permanent homes. You know, we do a good job in Northwest Arkansas with temporary or emergency shelter, but we don't do a good job in providing permanent homes, particularly home ownership in a way that could move our families from poverty to self-sufficiency. And I think that that's what I know Debbie's trying to do with Havenwood and, and, and Lisa, you're doing and helping our families sustain themselves. It's all an important role that we play. So our job, our homes that we build are not free. Our families pay mortgages, but they're interest-free mortgages only for the cost of the build. And we use 400 volunteers or more to build each house. So this keeps the cost low and many times a rent for three or mortgage payment for a three bedroom house is under $500 a month. And when the average price of housing in Northwest Arkansas for a two bedroom apartment is 800 or more, families can't sustain that on minimum wage income. So our goal is not only to provide the houses, but to make sure they stay self-sufficient. So we don't walk away after they move into their home we help them when they face life's challenges, when they have something like a pandemic or a death in the family or a loss of a job. And we come back in and help connect them with resources. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, Lisa, why don't you share um, now what, what you do with Second Street Pantry? So Second Street Pantry is helping uh, families or individuals that are facing food insecurity um, obviously, those are some of the same people that Cindy's team is helping, that people that are in poverty, but it may be chronic poverty or it may be situational. Maybe they just recently had a job loss. Um, sometimes we get people that just recently moved to the area and they haven't quite started their job yet, but they're going to start in a couple of weeks. 
so they have a transition period, or there's been some type of disruption. Um, um, an illness is a huge disruption because we know what the healthcare um, system is like and what those costs can be just devastating on a family. Um, I think people would be surprised to know the number of working families we have that come and get pantry food. Um, we have a number of senior citizens that are on Social Security that are supplementing with the food pantry. Um, so it's, it's people that have maybe a chronic situation or just situational. Um, lots of people with children and um, a lot of people with jobs, but just can't quite make ends meet. And uh, getting some groceries kind of helps them be able to put that money into um, either housing or to healthcare or other things that they need. Okay, and, and Debbie, share us a little bit uh, about your work. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting us. And it's interesting that each group, like, we are all serving the same population. And I don't think that's by accident. Havenwood, we're a transitional housing program. Uh, we serve single moms with one or two children under the age of 10. They come to us through so many different avenues, whether it's referral or through DHS, through drug court. But the commonality with all of our families is that they have experienced some type of a crisis or trauma that has caused them to have some housing insecurity. We have um, women that have experienced domestic violence, trafficking, uh, addiction, and they're really trying to just figure out how to restart their lives with their children. And so we provide case management and resource allocation um, and all sorts of things to really kind of help them, life skills, uh, parenting. But the other thing that we've done with the pandemic that has been really super exciting is we have been able to really dive into the community and help families that may not quite fit the Havenwood mold as far as, you know, single mom with one or two children under the age of 10. Maybe it's a single mom with three kids, or maybe it's a family. Um, maybe it's a single dad. And so we've been able to provide rental assistance for those who are facing eviction. We have been able to provide, uh, help them find housing and provide deposit, few months of rent, you know, uh, utility deposit and payments really to help them really start um, getting back on their feet. We work with them very intensely about paying off their fines, um, getting some of their debt reduced so that they can be in a position to um, go and see Cindy at Habitat and try to get a house or are in a better position to to uh, go back to school. Um, we encourage school, we encourage work, we encourage, uh, you know, really trying to figure out how do we just reset and hopefully address this generational poverty and the generational um, addiction and, and all of the things that um, have just followed them from, you know, grandparents and parents and uh, now to themselves. So uh, we really work hard trying to help them just set up for success. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. It is interesting that, that all of you do share, um, in many ways, the same, the same population, um, or at least a population that has similar challenges before it. Um, that also makes me wonder, I mean, I know as churches, we have struggled with how to kind of 
um, keep our volunteer base active um, with all of the restrictions. So I would love if you if you all could reflect on how the pandemic has impacted your work, both with those that you serve and with your volunteer base. Um, so maybe this time let's start with Lisa, because uh, I know a little bit of what you all have done. Uh, share mm-hmm. what uh, Second Street Pantry has had to do. So when the pandemic first hit, we had to really pivot because the church building shut down and everything we did was done in the church building. Um, I'm proud to say that the team reacted quickly and we never missed a Tuesday of being able to give groceries out. We immediately started with an outside delivery where people would stay in their cars. We would check them in and then set their groceries on a table and then they would come pick those up. Um, We had a a core group of volunteers to limit the number of people in the building um, that were comfortable working around each other. We've known each other for years, so we knew that we were all being careful when we weren't uh, at the pantry, always masked. um, And that was the first thing we did. The things that did get interrupted were we were providing a hot meal every Tuesday night. We immediately had to shut down providing that meal. It just wasn't safe. And we have not been able to restart that. The, the pandemic still is not allowing that to happen safely. Um, the other thing we did is for financial help, people would come in person and we would do a personal interview and make a decision. Well, um, our volunteer base just wasn't able to do that safely. So we had to switch to an email system where people would email, provide electronic documents. We would then Uh, call them and do the interview and be able to make that work. And that has actually worked quite well. Um, It's probably easier on our clients, quite frankly, than having to come up here and sit and wait for someone to, to interview them. They can get on with their lives because they're trying to work and raise children and do all those things everybody else is doing. Um, We, um, Never missed a beat. Our, our donations continued to come in gratefully. Um, so we were able to still continue that care. One thing we did have to do on our financial care when we finally, we missed a few weeks and then we got our electronic system up. Initially last summer, we were overwhelmed with requests. Um, we couldn't handle them financially and we couldn't handle them just with the volunteers that we had. There just weren't enough bodies to answer all the phone calls. Um, and I know talking to some of the other organizations that give some financial assistance, they had the same thing. So we had to narrow our scope to just Bentonville, Bella Vista and Centerton. And that's left some people out, um, of us being able to help them, but, it became manageable and we had money to sustain that then. Um, we have, you know, at what point in time we can open it up to all of Bitten County, which is what we were serving previously, we will. Um, but we still have seen that uh, keeping it smaller is, is more sustainable for us. Um, everything else, all of our suppliers, um, Really, we didn't miss anything. The food bank has noticed uh, some interruption in their supply chain like everyone else. Uh, We didn't miss out on toilet paper because we have a vendor that graciously supplies all the toilet paper. So we were probably one of the few people that had ample rolls of toilet paper. But things like uh, protein were harder to get. Um, This year, we're noticing that uh, prices of food have gone up. 
from the food bank. And um, one thing that's happened at the first of this year, our, our numbers were high. We had a lot of people that would come through that were new, so they'd never been to a food bank before or a food pantry before because they had suddenly lost their jobs because of the pandemic. 2021 has been a little bit different in that our numbers have dropped off. We were around 150 families a week. Now we're under 100. It, it went up last week, but our, our best guess is that with the unemployment income and the stimulus checks, that people had a little bit of a buffer there. And of course, that only lasts so long. So we kind of expect our numbers to continue to, to rise this year, but we did have a little bit of a drop this year. Thanks. Um, Debbie, uh, how have things gone out at Havenwood? Um, yeah, I mean, the same types of things that Lisa talked about, you know, when the pandemic first hit, you know, we we had to really pivot how we do so many things. And when we have you, when you have 15 families all in the same building, it makes it a little hard to, uh, to do social distancing. So we had to get very creative. Uh, we had to learn how to, uh, social distance within your family kind of. Um, so that was interesting. We also, we had provided group, uh, on Tuesday nights. And we used to have, you know, a ton of volunteers that would come to watch the kiddos and, and, uh, allow the moms a little bit of a break and an hour to learn things. And, you know, with that had to stop. So we've tried and been pretty successful with, but we went to zoom meetings. We went to Facebook live meetings. We went to, um, you know, all sorts of different ways to continue the teaching because, you know, we still, we didn't want to lose lose time um, working with the families. So we had to kind of pivot with that. Um, we've now pretty much established a routine that allows the moms to come to group and we don't um, necessarily, you know, we're not in a place to open that back up for volunteers to watch the kiddos, um, but it's, it's working right now. So, so that's really good. Uh, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we saw, we always knew that there were, you know, individuals out in the community who are really, really struggling. Um, but, you know, we didn't necessarily have the capacity to really kind of reach out and to be able to serve those families. And, um, you know, I'm very, I'm on the board of the COC. So, and I do all the coordinated entry things. So we have a by name list in the community of all the individuals who um, we've been able to assess that are homeless or at risk. And because of the, how just, because it's so expensive to live in Northwest Arkansas, it's really very, very difficult to, even when we do, you know, maybe we find an apartment, you know, like Cindy said, they can't sustain. It's, it's too difficult. And so through honestly, a lot of COVID money, um, you know, we've been able to really kind of dive in and um, help families that I'm quite sure we wouldn't have been able to help in any other capacity. Um, so, you know, that has been, it's been really, 
it's been really good for us to be able to really kind of expand. Um, our demographics uh, across the board have changed. Uh, we we're serving all of Northwest Arkansas versus just Benton County. So that's really exciting as well. And, you know, we're really kind of diving into the collaboration. You know, we have community partners all the way through uh, that, you know, work with us to help our clients be really super successful. We do not duplicate efforts. You know, if somebody else can do it better, you know, absolutely. We're going to send um, families to uh, the food pantry um, down the street. You know, we are, we're just down the street from each other. Um, we're going to send people to Habitat. You know, I'm, we're not going to try to do all things for all people. That's, you know, that's makes it super difficult. But um, our volunteer base has been kind of small, but, um, you know, with the pandemic, but we're starting hopefully starting to be able to open some things up and, and do some things um, with our community. We have a community that really cares about us, but oh, really cares. Um, and they're just trying to figure out how to, you know, how to, how to navigate our new normal. Right. Yeah. I think that's the, the challenge so many of us face um, is how do we be present in ways when presence is somewhat restricted. Right. Um, so, Cindy, uh, your organization relies heavily on volunteer labor. Um, what has the challenge of the pandemic opposed for you and the people that you're serving and the people that would serve alongside? Well, it slowed down our bills. You know, we not only couldn't get volunteers, but there was a shortage of supplies. Mm. You know, we couldn't get lumber for a while or we couldn't get concrete. But even more fundamental than that, what we realized is that people started isolating themselves. And so what we normally had done focusing on building and getting volunteers then became an outreach effort where we were actually going to homes, checking on our families, taking food and groceries and helping them connect with resources. So we updated our community resource list extensively because it was too big for us. We couldn't do everything. And we gave a lot of mortgage assistance and deferments. We had donors who knew that what our homeowners needed would help with their mortgages. And so a lot of our fundraising went from brick and mortar to just sustainability. And we diverted funds from our builds to helping our families stay in their homes. But the other thing that we found is that we were getting different kinds of requests. Suddenly we're getting requests. We have a child that needs a wheelchair rent because he can't get off the porch to get to a bus to go to school. Mm -hmm. Or we found out that I have a senior in Bella Vista that all she needed was have a flashing on her front porch repaired because water was dripping all through her front door. I could send somebody out to do that. We could find volunteers that, so it changed the way we operate a little bit. And we started focusing more on the little things. It, I mean, it was hard when we shut down the restore, which covers all our operations and part of our builds, because then it became, I got to make payroll. We've, we, and we made a committed effort to keep our employees paid. Whatever it took, they were paid. They went home. We just made sure they were kept paid. And so it just changed our priorities a little bit. But what we found was that there were a lot of, I think, long-term effects of everybody going to Zoom, the lack of human contact, 
people not being able to pursue the things that they drew joy from and relaxation from. It was hard for a lot of our families to connect to church because now it was virtual and they may not have the technology or they may live in Gravit or somewhere where they didn't have the internet. So it was important that we stay in touch with people. We did a lot of phone calls. We did a lot of drive-overs where we could just leave stuff on the front porch because we knew we couldn't talk. But I think, and at Christmas even, that was hard. Making sure our families had packages and money. And, you know, where we used to do food boxes at Thanksgiving, it became more important for us to do gift cards because we wanted them to be able to buy what they needed, not what we thought that they needed. Mm -hmm. And we knew that the food pantries were doing a great job. And a lot of churches were calling and saying, we've got fresh produce. How can we distribute it? That kind of thing. So we have tried to look at things a little differently. And that's when we got, we developed a family support committee where in the past it had just been a family selection committee for a home, but our program expanded and the program has now become focused more on sustainability and good mental health and being able to access the resources with a collaboration of organizations in our county. Yeah, uh, it seems like um, one of the things that I think the pandemic did was was really uh, maybe expose some spaces, maybe maybe educated all of us on some levels, right? Of right. of um, additional things that needed to be addressed out there, and not just. Um, we didn't necessarily have to meet those, but it, it helped us to meet each other, right? To find out who else was doing what in town and how could we, how could we all leverage that work together? Um, you know, one more thing, and I probably, I'm sure yeah. the, other, the rest of you have experienced this too. In light of that, it opened our eyes that we can't settle for our organization on just doing one house a year. There's too much need out there and it may take a lot of effort and a lot of money, but we got to raise the bar. And so we changed our goals this year to build five houses. We didn't have the money for that. And you know what? God's providing the land. He's providing the money. It It's happening. I'm seeing miracles happen every day that I never thought we'd be able to see, but you can't get more than what you ask for. And I really believe that we all have to start praying for more things that matter because of all the things that we're all working are, on are just as important to God as they're important to us. Right. Yeah. I, I frequently tell people, you know, we we act like we're worshiping a God of scarcity. We worship a God of abundance. Um, it's just a question of are we looking Right. And, yeah. and are we asking and are we are we in community with one another? Because it's frequently the community bringing everything together that everyone goes, oh, we do have this. <laughs> right. There we could do this. Um, well, that that um, that kind of dovetails into one of the questions that I that I have for you, all which is what are kind of the unique challenges or advantages to doing the, the kind of work that you do here in Bentonville? Um, we, we're focusing on um, our, our series is called Bentonville first, and we're really focusing on how can we be present for Bentonville? Um, it's great to hear some of y'all have been able to expand out beyond um, the borders of this town, but we're, we're focusing in on, on uh, this particular place. What are some of the challenges and the advantages to your work here? So Debbie, maybe since you have expanded, out. Um, I'll bring you back in, but you can kind of start on the reflection of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, the challenge, some of the challenges that we have um, is it's, again, Bentonville, it's super expensive. Uh, you know, one, we don't have enough housing stock. 
period. And the housing stock we have is not conducive for um, those who are experiencing, you know, low income poverty. They just can't afford it. You know, when a one bedroom is, you know, $940 a month, you know, or more than, you know, some of our house payments, it's super hard. Mm -hmm. So that's really one of the reasons we have had to look elsewhere, you know, as far as to house people. Um, And that's really, that's really difficult, especially once you've established yourself in a place. So your kids are going to school, you know, you've got a job, you're doing well. And then now when, when you move out of Havenwood, you can't afford to stay here. So that means your child has to move schools. You have to either get better transportation or potentially change your job. It's, it becomes difficult. Um, so that's, that's one of the challenges that, that we continue to face. Um, but the positive is, you know, we have so much, so much in Bentonville. We have so many giving individuals who really believe in what the work that we're doing and, you know, really want to help. It's just a matter of being able to convey that um, in a way that touches people's hearts, you know, and everybody has their own like thing that really kind of tugs at their heartstrings. And so, you know, really trying to just tap in to make sure that people are feeling fulfilled and feeling like they're, they're making a difference. Um, again, with the pandemic has kind of changed all of those things, but it's also really kind of, given people an opportunity to think, okay, I really do have a lot and what can I share, whether it's time, talent, treasure, whatever, but um, providing an opportunity for individuals to, you know, do things that we would never have thought about, you know, as far as like, we have more girls right now that do not have uh, vehicles. So transportation is super hard. You know, we don't have buses in Bentonville not that run constantly. Um, so that, that, you know, that's a barrier to try to get your child to childcare and then to work and, you know, all of those things. But I think, you know, all the volunteers that we have had and all the, um, the, uh, the community partners that we have had have been really open to just learning how to pivot. Like we've all had to learn how to pivot. Um, and so being able to just, you know, pivot like all day, every day. Right. Right. Um, right. <laughs> you know, just being able to uh, figure out, okay, this didn't work. Um, or this worked 2019. It doesn't work in 2021. Right. And so how, how do we just, instead of saying, well, this is how we've always done it. Amen. Go back to, right. Go back to, okay. So can it look different? Like, you know, can we look outside the box? Can we ask, you know, ask those questions that we haven't asked in the past? Really say, okay, be transparent with our needs. You know, um, we, we all get a little, you know, prideful and we don't want to ask, but the only way that people are going to know what our needs are and those feelings of, isolation and depression and anxiety and, and all the things that are coming out of the pandemic, we have to be willing to, to ask. And, you know, if the answer is no, okay, then the answer is no, but we're going to keep asking 
to, you know, to help, you know, help fulfill the needs of our families. Lisa, what, what challenges do you see uh, and possibilities of being in Bentonville? Well, kind of echoing what Debbie said, I mean, living in Bentonville where you have some major retailers and vendors associated with those retailers is a huge advantage. Um, we get a lot from different vendors. Um, so that is extremely helpful. We have the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank um, just in Lowell. So that's a huge advantage for us because we're able to buy food for pennies on the dollar. Um, so we, we really have some advantages that I know other communities just don't have. Um, you know, we started adding diapers, which has been really popular to what we can give out once a month. And we partnered with a diaper bank in Springfield. Well, that's really, that's only two hours away. Found out that there's another diaper bank starting up in Springdale, which is 30 minutes away, which is going to be a blessing. So um, we have a lot. We also have a community, as Debbie stated, that really has a heart for giving. Um, you know, we have schools that are teaching how to be empathetic and do giving in their schools. Um, I know Lincoln Junior High has had a, a nonprofit fair that we've been the recipient of some funds from. Brightfield Middle School does an awesome food drive every year where we almost didn't have enough vehicles to pick it all up. Um, the Young Men's Service League, which are teenage um, young men and their moms, have supported us so much in the last few years. They were doing that before the pandemic, and man, they stepped it up after the pandemic. Looked a little different. We had smaller groups of people, um, kind of have them here when nobody else is here. Um, but so, so our advantage is a community that really does want to help. Um, there are resources out there, more so than in some communities. If you just know how to tap into those resources, there are grants out there. If you just know how to tap into those grants. So that's a huge advantage for, for all of us. Um, the disadvantage, um, just to echo again, is the cost of living and mainly that's housing. Um, that seems to just take up such a huge chunk of a family's income. It's very difficult to then have anything extra. And then you have a hiccup in your employment or health and things go south very quickly. Um, so these are people that in many cases um, just are living so close to the edge. It just doesn't take much to kind of push them over. And so we need a way to be able to shore them up a little bit better. Um, we're trying just to make sure they get fed, but you know, as a community, there's probably other ways um, that we could shore them up to, like Debbie said, transportation. You, you, you can't get to work in daycare and school in Northwest Arkansas without uh, reliable transportation. Yeah. Yeah, Cindy, I kind of wanted to end with you on this question because you are also on the city council and um, thought that you might then be able to add in um, a little bit of, of input on um, a kind of city view. Next week, we will be doing local government, yeah. but you can kind of um, talk about your work specifically, but also talk maybe in terms of, of what's going on in the city level as well. Well, this is a good time to talk about that because, first of all, I think part of the assets we have in Bentonville is access to the college 
access to affordable retail, and access to healthcare. Big in this city, and we're still somewhat compact compared to other areas around us. We're not remote like Gravit, some of the other places. We have everything here, transportation needs to link it. But we also have a city council that is finally getting it that we have an affordable housing problem. And affordability, there's a debate on city council about what constitutes affordability. And high density doesn't make it more affordable. We've got to do something as a city to either relieve some of the permitting costs, uh, do some incentives for developers that will lower the cost of development so they can lower the rents. And it's all about rent and housing. And when property is so valuable, people don't want to donate it anymore to places like me. And the developers are spending so much money developing, they want the high price property on the street and, and you know on the big thoroughfares and that kind of thing. But the city, we are in fact next week there will be a committee of the whole meeting just to talk about affordable housing. And I'm trying to provide data and make sure that all my colleagues understand that this isn't something that just impacts the homeless. It's the working class that are on a wage where they can't afford this type of costs. We also live in a community as you already mentioned about the great wealth here and how that benefits us and the vendors benefit us. But on the other half side of that is Northwest Arkansas is considered the you know, prodigy child and that we don't need the money. So I'm, I can't tell you how many grants I've applied. Well, you're in Northwest Arkansas and we understand that you know, we have a lot of support there. But we also, I think, are ignoring the number of people here that are homeless. You don't see it all the time. It's not the kind of thing that's so visible, but if you're sleeping on somebody else's couch and moving from place to place every month, that's not a permanent place. That is not something that is safe and decent and permanent. And we don't do a good job of recognizing that we have people sleeping in the woods behind Cracker Barrel because they got rid of the trees at I Street, J Street. I mean, these are things that we've got to reconcile. And just because we have a lot of affluence here, it's very wonderful for philanthropy, but it's not solving our problem because we're going to have to all come to terms with we have a problem that's going to take all of us to resolve. So that part is still, I think, a perception problem that we need the chamber involved, downtown Bentonville involved, all the churches and city council. So from that perspective, I think we're really fortunate in a lot of ways, but we have got to address the problem head on and not trying to be politically correct. Let's talk about how it impacts us as a community. And think about it. Our job, I saw the other day, we had 850 new job postings in Bentonville. The question is, do our clients have the training to fill these jobs? So the problem isn't just making sure they have their immediate needs met, but it's helping them prepare for the future and helping them equip themselves with the tools they need in the environment we live in. Yeah, um, I had the opportunity to sit down with Evelyn Jorgensen yesterday, who's the president of Northwest Arkansas Community College. She's going to be on our education webinar at the end of the month. And talking about specifically, you know, kind of trainings that they're putting in place out um, at the college in order to be able to meet those kinds of needs. And when I preached this weekend uh, to kick this series off, 
talked about, we could be a town that eradicated poverty, but there's two ways to eradicate poverty, right? One is to be so expensive that no one who is impoverished can live here, right? That is one way to eradicate poverty, but not necessarily the just way, right? The other way is to make there be affordable housing available and training available that people can move in and then pull themselves out of poverty because of the opportunities that are available in this town. And that, that for me, is, is a more just vision of what a town without poverty could look like, a town that, that works to eliminate poverty in people's lives, right, as opposed to just hating itself. <laughs> Can Probably. I interject here real quick? Yeah, just so sure. everybody has a perspective on what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking about poverty. We're talking about a family, one person that makes a little over $12,000 a year. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about a family of four, it's a family that's living on 26000 a year. Mm-hmm. You can't pay 50% of your income for a house and have anything left over for food and medical care and all the other things and insurance for your car and maintenance on your car. Right. And that's one of the biggest problems I see with a lot of our families. They don't have transportation. Yeah. But the other thing I think we all have to remember is that in order to pull our families up, let me tell you a wonderful story. I had a young woman come into our restore and she told us she got her Habitat home when she was 13. She had just gotten her college degree in fashion design and was heading to New York to start a new job in fashion design. And this woman, young woman said, we never would have done this if it hadn't been for Habitat. So we don't realize the impact we're making with one family has generational impact. Mm -hmm. It's so much bigger. And if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to continue to make big impact but we've got to engage the rest of our community to join us and see that there's other parts of this that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you shared that, Cindy. Um, this was not necessarily a question I, I uh, planned to ask, but Debbie or Lisa, do either of you have a story that comes to mind that, that shows kind of the value of the work of this, uh, that, that you all do here? Uh Yeah, I can go. Um, Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. There are so, so many stories. Um, One in particular that I'm thinking of, you know, we have a mom who she she was heavy into her addiction. She lost her her, um, child to DHS. There's a lot of a lot of things that happened there. And she found herself pregnant again. She was in a domestic violence shelter really very little education, you know, she didn't have a whole lot of support, comes to Havenwood and through two years of just mentoring and, you know, her deciding here and hear, hear this big piece, her deciding that she wanted different for her life, right? We can't work harder at something than somebody else does, right? Um, she decided that she wanted different. She got her daughter back. She had her second child. She is, um, she's graduated from the program. She's, uh, she's working. She's paying all her own bills. She has no government subsidy. She even said to me, she was like, I make too much for HUD now. And, and I said, yeah, that's good. And she said, I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, I said, no one really likes to be an adult. Right. (laughs) But, um, you know, 
she's, she's doing it and she's doing it on her own and her girls are thriving. And it's just, it's so cool to be able to kind of see, you know, see it when it works out well. Sometimes it doesn't always work out so well, but I believe that we are continually planting seeds and maybe while they were in Havenwood, maybe their experience wasn't super positive, but hopefully, and I've seen this down the road, things that they were exposed to may change how, you know, what their journey looks like. And so, you know, it's, it's super cool. And again, you know, it takes the food pantry, it takes habitat, it takes all of us. Like this is not unique to one organization or unique to, you know, one family. It takes a lot of resources and a lot of collaboration. Yeah. Lisa, what about you? Do you have any stories? You know, uh, I don't have maybe an individual story, but I'll brag on one of our volunteers because yes, we're providing food and and some financial aid and personal care items. But another thing that one of our volunteers, um, Randy Erskine does particularly well is build relationship. So when we lost the Tuesday night dinner, that's where a lot of our guests really had made friends. It was a way for them to, just have a night out and, and have that sense of community. And the pandemic, of course, shut down a sense of community for a lot of people. And the isolation um, was difficult on everybody. But when you're already struggling in one area of your life, adding another layer on is never helpful. Um, he's done a great job of building relationship with people, continuing to call people who haven't shown up for a while to see how they're doing. Uh, recognize that another man was his place where he had lived was being uh, sold because it was right downtown. So the land was very wealthy. So they were tearing down his apartment, um, helped him find another apartment and help him move in um, and then continued those relationships. Um, he has a few gentlemen that he meets weekly for lunch to just check in on them. So building that relationship is something you don't maybe think about a pantry doing. That's that's really important. Um, sometimes we don't realize that um, there's people in the world that don't have a large community to call on if something goes wrong. You know, I've got a large family and friend network, so I know I have a lot of people I could call if things went south. A lot of our people that come simply don't have that. Um, so us building that relationship is um kind of a side benefit that I think I didn't realize was happening until maybe a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it is really true that, um, uh, Debbie to, to kind of echo some of the things that you were saying, um, this week, weekend in my sermon, I dropped a, a pebble in a, in a bowl of water and talked about that, that, that represents in some ways, any act of love, right? Any act of love drops into the pool, and then it ripples out and we don't really know the distance that it travels and the effect that it, that it carries. We just know we did that drop of the pebble. Right. And in some ways, a lot of the work that you all do drop some of those pebbles right? mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then you, you hope and pray that that, that changes lives and, and does transformation. But, but the pebble drop is the important thing to do in the first place. Um, and so, so that's, uh, wonderful. And since Lisa has brought up, brought up volunteers, um, mm-hmm. I would love for each of you to share kind of what your greatest needs are and how people can get involved, 
um, understanding that we're still in the pandemic, but coming out of it, hopefully, um, please let us be coming out of it. Um, so if you could kind of share how, how folks can get in, involved and Cindy, let's, let's start with you. Okay. We can always take your reusable building supplies, doors, windows, furniture, household items, artwork, lamps, things that we can resell in our restart. keeps it out of the landfill and somebody can use it in their home, light fixtures. If you have a decon, you're tearing out a kitchen or a bathroom, let us come and harvest the cabinets and sinks, those kinds of things. We, you can do that and, and be isolated. But we also change the way that we group volunteers. We're asking groups of friends, families, smaller groups, church groups, work groups to come volunteer on a build. And we will make sure you're social distanced and everybody's safe in that regard. But you can also volunteer in the restore. And if you're just really inclined and want to help make phone calls, we'll find a place for you. So you can call us at 335-5970 and get hooked up with the restore. They'll do pickups or you can drop stuff off. You can shop in the restore. I have some families who they're doing a remodel. So they'll get a storage unit and come in every day and pick stuff out and just store it till they need it. It's great prices. And we, some of the stuff's new flooring and paint and a lot of those types of things. We also, you can look us up on habitatbentoncountyar.org. Sign up to volunteer online. You can ask questions, contact us. We'd love to have your help. You can make donations financially or with your heart and prayers are always welcome. Um, Cindy, I will share that um, for those of you that are part of my congregation, uh, a good chunk of my wardrobe came from the um, restore in Hot Springs Village. Awesome. <laughs> they, some, had some nice stuff they had some fabulous clothes, fabulous clothes. So so much of what you see uh, me wearing uh, comes from the Habitat Restore there. So, awesome. um, yeah. So, um, all right, uh, Debbie, how can folks get involved with your work? Absolutely. So, you know, again, we have so many families. I, I, I didn't give you a number in the past, but um, we have over 30 families that we're helping out in the community right now. And so, you know, that's that's a lot of families, right? A lot of kids, a lot of, a lot of things. Consumables. We always, always, always need consumables, diapers, uh, wipes, paper towels, cleaning supplies, uh, you know, all the things that we all kind of take for granted, um, you know, those are things that, that people, that we need for, to be able to give to our families. Um, you know, food stamps, they don't cover a lot of those things and that makes things really difficult. So always consumables, uh, always um, just, you know, we, we're sending all our women's clothes down to beautiful lives so that, we can part, we have a partnership with them. And then that way it kind of spreads out and more people can shop. Um, but children's clothing, we furniture, we have very small apartments, but we do take furniture. It just, you need to call ahead of time so we can make sure something fits, uh, volunteer opportunities for small groups. They can redo an apartment. They can come in and, um, you know, we can let them know what family's moving in and they can, you know, get things specific for a little girl who's two or, you know, a little boy who's five or whatever. Um, those are always super fun and we can absolutely social distance you there. Uh, we, we sell tea. 
So um, that's another resource where we partner with Savoy Tea. And so we have a small little sec selection of Havenwood teas that um, you can go to havenwoodteaco.com and you can purchase tea. And, you know, obviously, yes, monetarily, for sure. Um, we all, we all need, <laughs> you know, we all need more, uh, more, more monetary donations, but there's, you know, like Cindy said, you know, I could, we are a very small staff. So if somebody just loves to answer the phone, I would love it. If somebody wants to come and help file and uh, our grants require a lot of documentation. And so it's a lot of, a lot of paperwork, um, you know, not necessarily my jam, but um, you know, somebody else might think it's the greatest thing in the world and I would love to have them come in my office and fix it. <laughs> so just a couple opportunities. Okay, wonderful. That last little bit that, that you shared there, Debbie, I, I was reminded um, there's a couple of different ways of being ordained in the United Methodist Church. One is to be a deacon and one is to be an elder. And and I'm an elder. And one of the parts of being an elder is to called to order the church. Um, and a lot of people will choose to go deacon route instead of elder because they'll say, I don't like doing the paperwork. Well, I didn't go into this job for the paperwork either. <laughs> That's not why I went into it either. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I feel you on the on the paperwork pain. Um, Lisa, uh, what, what can people do to help out with Second Street Pantry? So the things that you can do right now um, are, we'll take your money always. Uh, you can go to 2ndstpantry.org to our website and you can see a link to donate now. Um, small groups could do uh, food drives and we can give you a list of needed items. We're now collecting items for our Thanksgiving food boxes and Christmas boxes. Um, we have a Walmart gift registry. It's registry for good. And you can see second street pantry on there. And there's a list of items. You never have to leave your house. You can just order it and it'll ship directly to the pantry. Um, and, you know, we have um, the women's soccer team at the Bentonville West is doing a food drive for us. So they have um, a list of items that we've asked for and they're going to do you doing a food drive internally there. So there's some things like that you can do. It's hard to bring a lot of extra volunteers in right now. But if you want to work from your house and answer some phone calls or, um, you know, like once a month, check the website for financial requests. Um, I can hook you up and we can learn how to do that. All right. Wonderful. Um, while you all have been talking and, and shared some of the, the challenges that the, the um, pandemic has posed, it's made me think of something. Uh, yesterday I went to a local restaurant and they, I was taking something to go and they had to give me my drink in a coffee cup. And they said, we're doing this because we, we, there's supply chain disruptions, right? This is, these are the only cups we can get right now. <clears throat> Um, and I said to the, the gentleman, I said, well, this is probably good for all of us. Um, and he said, right, because now we need to know to make these these things in America. And I said, actually, what I was thinking was we've taken for granted a long time that we could just have access to everything. And not everybody lives that way. Not everybody in the world, not everybody in this country lives that way where they can just get everything at any any given moment. Um, and so maybe we should stop and be grateful for all that we've had. And he said, Oh, that's true. So, so I'm going to put a challenge out here to anybody that watches this webinar and say, the next time you run into us into a um, supply chain disruption that, that you stop and you think about 
who you could give something to, to help them have an easier way in your life. Um, and these three organizations are three that, that, that could benefit from that and greatly. So, so take what's might be a little bit of an inconvenience for you in your day and use it to do some good, um, in the world instead. Um, I am so grateful for the three of you and for you giving your time and sharing your, your stories. Um, we are coming to the end of our time. Um, I am, uh, thankful for this panel. I hope that this has inspired those of you that have, are watching now or who will watch in the days to come, uh, to think about ways that you can get involved. We will continue this conversation this Sunday at our church at First United Methodist Church here in downtown Bentonville. Um, we have a worship service at nine o'clock. That's our contemporary service and 11 o'clock, our traditional service. Um, and we will be preaching on nonprofits and, and how we can be involved and how, as the people of faith, we should be involved in our community in this way. Um, you can join us in person or you can join us on Facebook. They both, uh, both were worship services broadcast on Facebook. Um, also, uh, since we are talking about coming out of the pandemic, but we're not quite there yet, um, I do want to share uh, this that we also have coming up in our church. Um, it's a service of morning and hope. Uh, we will be doing a special Wednesday evening service um, from 6.30 to 7.30. It is open to the community. It will, again, be in person as well as online. Um our uh, one of our um, music directors, Ray Wheeler, some of you may know he taught uh, music here for many years. He has written uh, Requiem for COVID that we're going to debut that evening. And then Ken Weatherford, who does beer and hymns and is, is well known uh, for his philanthropic work in the community as well, um, will also be providing music for us that evening. Um, and we we're just going to take some time to to kind of reflect and mourn and, um, and name the things that we have lost this year, um, but also look forward to better days to come. And like I said, it's open to the community, but we would especially like to invite our medical care workers and our first responders who have had to carry so much of the bulk of our grief for us. Um, we would love for them to attend and find space to name all that pain and let us pray for you and, and be present with you in that life. Um, so please join us. Yeah. Uh, join us that evening for that special service. And of course, join us throughout the, the month of October to learn more about Bentonville and um, how we can be um, in ministry with one another and, and really grow and shape this community. Well, on, on Sunday, I put the challenge out that I think Bentonville is one of, if not the most influential influential town in the world per capita. It's one of the most influential towns in the world per capita. So if we make an impact here, it has the potential to ripple out, right? And make an uh, impact around the world. So, so any good that we can do here has, has an impact like the stories that you all were sharing that we cannot imagine how far it might go. Again, thank you so much to our wonderful panelists. Um, and for those of you that joined us to learn about nonprofits in Bentonville, um, next week, as I mentioned, we will be looking at local government. The mayor will be here. We'll have another city council person. Yeah. And, um, and a county judge to talk about, um, the work that's going on in our community, uh, through our government. Um, we hope that you've been inspired here to join in the efforts described here to uh, learn how to make Bentonville first so that the world can then follow. Um, thanks again to our panelists. Thanks to all of you that joins us. Blessings and peace to you all. Michelle? Yes. Um, I just would like to share something. I read this yesterday and it just touched me. And I want to talk about gratitude. And this is a poem I read. 
Yes. It says your terrible job is the dream of the unemployed. Your house is the dream of the homeless. Your smile is the dream of the depressed. Your health is the dream of those who are ill. Don't let difficult times make you forget your blessings. Absolutely. That's a wonderful way to finish it up. Thank you all so much. Thank you for putting this together. You all have a wonderful week. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.